0: Good morning. So as I started this series last week, uh, we're on a journey. And we're on a a journey looking particularly at physical healing. But we started off laying a foundation, which is the Lord is our healer. And today I'm going to be putting the next layer of cement on that foundation, building up some more foundation. the Lord is our healer. We're looking particularly at physical healing, as I said, but, you know, he, he, provide, he he's, such a, he's a healer in so many uh, different areas and included in the word rapha, as I brought last week, is, uh, is the sense of emotional healing. Uh, I quoted from a psalm which said, uh, I think it was 147, that said he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Um, I brought to you this (coughs) uh, graph last week and uh, I've been encouraged to show it to you again. Obviously there are quite a few of us that are kind of mathematically, graphically minded and they uh, can relate to this. But what we want to do as a church uh, is uh, undergo a step change. Step change in our thinking, in our uh, experience, our understanding and our... Um, expectation of healing and having got to a new level as in the the, the graph at the top uh, there's a sneaky little kind of tick uh, going upwards again suggesting that at at some point having got to that point then we want to build on that and and go further. Um, We don't want to fall back as in the second graph and after all the fuss has died down uh, then just be back to where we started. So this talk is, uh, is entitled, God Wants You Well, and if you, if you get nothing else from this morning, I want you to be convinced of that. Uh, with all the, the different uh, scriptures and everything we, we're going to be bringing, then uh, I want everybody to know that God wants you well. Um, it's a foundational thing for us to move forward and see breakthrough in the area of healing. Um, It's very hard to have faith and pray for healing if you don't believe actually God wants it. You feel like you're battling against God, and we never want to be in that situation. Um, So, I want everybody to be convinced of that. So, uh, I'm going to bring us back to a scripture that we looked at last week, which is Isaiah 53. And this is uh, an amazing, amazingly clear prophecy. Uh, about, the, about Jesus. It's a messianic prophecy. There were many, many, but probably this is one of the clearest uh, in the Old Testament, of things that predicted Jesus. And I would urge you to read the whole passage, which starts, um, I would say, from uh, chapter 52, 13, and, and ends basically to the end of chapter 53. Uh, But we haven't got time to look at all of that. So I'm going to go straight to verse 4. And it's still quite small, isn't it? But hopefully you can read that. Let's all read this together. This is a, a clear statement about the work of Jesus. Okay. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow or suffering... Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And as I mentioned last week, that that word healed is... Uh, is Rapha. It's the one which God uses to describe when he, when he, himself, when he says, "I am the Lord who heals you." Um, how should we interpret Scripture? Well, the the, guide, the best guidance is always that we interpret it in the light of other Scriptures. And when we uh, go forward to Matthew's Gospel. And we read about all the things that Jesus did. And as I mentioned last week, Jesus did an awful lot of healing. But uh, there's a statement in Matthew 8, in in verses 16 and 17. Um, Let's just read this together as well, because this is the fulfilment, in part, of this prophecy. Okay. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was what fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took out our infirmities, and carried our diseases. So notice that word fulfilled, that, that the scripture in Isaiah is fulfilled through Jesus. We're going to look at another scripture a bit later, uh, which also... Uh, makes it clear in the New Testament that this scripture was fulfilled in Jesus. The passage, this passage from Isaiah 53, also let's go back to it a moment, states that Jesus died not only so that we can be forgiven of our sins, but also for the healing of diseases. Are you getting that, receiving that from that passage and its film, fulfillment? In, um, or at least that part of it that forf- is fulfilled in Matthew. Jesus went about um, casting out demons, healing the sick, and uh, in doing so, he was, he was fulfilling this prophecy about him. Um, so <clears throat> we do not believe that he died for some of our sins, do we? We believe that he died for all of them. Jesus did not die for our partial salvation. Um, so I would put to you, in the same way we should see that there was provision for healing, right? that Jesus, <coughs> through his suffering, his death on the cross and his resurrection, there is provision uh, not only for the forgiveness of sins, um, but also that we can be healed from our diseases. Smith Wigglesworth is... Uh, I don't know if uh, how well you're familiar with uh, his his sermons, he didn't actually do any writing of books literally himself, um, but uh, he was uh, an evangelist born in 1859 and uh, he lived through to 1947 and he evangelised and healed many, many people around the world. Uh, There are all kinds of amazing testimonies if you read his book, uh, a book about him, his biography called Apostle of Faith. There is another one called Ever Increasing Faith, which is a collection of his sermons. I would really recommend those to you. Um, and he would always say that no matter what Bible text he started with, he would nearly always end up preaching that Jesus died not only for our sins, but also for our sicknesses. Now, note that I'm not saying that Jesus died to save us from all suffering. That word <laughs> uh, got slipped in, in, in brackets in the Isaiah 53. But it's clear that Jesus did not... Uh, did not die to save us from all uh, suffering in this life. Jesus warned his disciples that they would be persecuted, and they were. Um, We face many trials, and Paul told his followers that we, we must face many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Peter says that these are for the refining of our faith, which is of greater worth than gold. And James tells us, to consider them pure joy and that it results in perseverance, maturity and completeness. So I'm not saying that, uh, that Jesus, and it doesn't say <laughs> in Isaiah 53 that he, uh, he came to uh, save us from, uh, from all suffering, from persecution, from trials. He did not. We still have to undergo all these things. Um, when he sent his disciples out, during his life on earth, he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to cast out demons and heal people. Um, he, he didn't say, go and solve all their problems. Okay. And they went and they did just that. That is, <laughs> heal the sick and cast out demons. Um, so does God really always want you well? I believe that he does. Um, Remember I said last week that Jesus demonstrated again and again that he was willing to heal all who came to him. There's no record of him ever refusing anyone on the basis that it was not God's will or not God's timing. Jesus wanted people well, and he was willing. On one occasion, he made a point of demonstrating, uh, in the, thinking about the uh, healing where a man was lowered down through the roof The first thing Jesus uh, said to him is, son, your sins are forgiven. And then when he was challenged on this, you can't do that. Uh, No one on earth can forgive sins. And Jesus said, well, let me demonstrate actually that I can. And then he said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the the man did that. Uh, I think through that he was actually demonstrating Yes, there is forgiveness of sins, just as much as there is is healing um, through what I'm doing. Does sickness ever come from God? Hmm, interesting one. I think, looking uh, just briefly at the New Testament, yes, in rare cases of judgment, and I'm thinking of, for example, in Revelation 2, where Jesus, in talking to the churches, talks about a woman called Jezebel, I don't think that was probably her real name, but she was a type of Jezebel through, uh, from that woman in the, the Old Testament. Uh, and he said about her, I'm, I'm about to cast her uh, on a bed of sickness. Why? Because I've asked her again and again, she won't repent. Um, and she was actually spreading um, bad teaching about immorality through the church. Uh, that is one of... I mean, another one that comes to mind is Ananias and Sapphira. Well, that wasn't exactly putting a, a sickness on them. It was, it was pretty severe, though, wasn't it? Uh, they, they fell down dead. Uh, so there are cases, uh, we can see, where there is a sudden judgment. Um, but I don't think that's the norm. Uh, and it, in, in the case of Jezebel, it wasn't straight away they had had the chance to... Uh, she had the chance to, to repent of her ways and she wouldn't do it. Um, it was quite a, a severe situation. I want to put to you that sickness is not your cross to bear that God has given you so that you can demonstrate your, your love for him. Um, sometimes the way that people talk as well, we, you get this idea that it's happened to me and therefore... It must be God's will. But, again, I want to state the obvious. Not everything that happens is God's will. Not by a long way. Sin happens. It's not God's will. Um, still others might believe that sickness um, has been sent to you by God to test you and to, uh, to keep you relying on him or to humble you. Um, Again, I don't believe that God uses sickness in that way, and you would be hard pressed to find uh, an example of it. Some people think that the uh, where Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh, that that, that is an example of um, of a sickness that is sent to to try sickness that is sent to you know keep you humble or whatever whatever. Um, So I just want to talk about that passage. Uh, We haven't got time to read that now. Um, But I think many of you are familiar with it, is that Paul talks to the Corinthians about these surpassingly great revelations that have been coming to him, that he was caught up in the third heaven and he saw things that a man uh, is not permitted to to utter, or sorry, to, to speak about. And then he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. The King James doesn't say conceited, it says exalted. Uh, But I think the sense in most translations is to keep me from becoming exalted, conceited. Um, There was sent to me a thorn in the flesh and a messenger of Satan. So Paul describes it as a thorn in the flesh, and a messenger of Satan. The, the word for messenger, uh, again, is, is translated messenger in just about every English translation, um, or even though the word is actually the same word used for angels. But. How, how are we to consider this? What is it that Paul uh, experienced? Was it an illness? Was it a sickness? Well, it never says it was, and he never says it was, and he never says it was, says it was from God. However, people have speculated down the ages what the nature of the thorn was. Some people think that it refers to an extraordinary level of persecution that he'd received and he'd just been talking about uh, all the things that he'd undergone. And I think there is some possibility of that. I'm not particularly convinced by it. But in my mind, it's not, I think it's very unlikely to be an illness. And here are my reasons. So, number one, a thorn in the Bible never refers to an illness... Uh, it's normally uh, actual people or enemy nations. Um, No other sickness in the New Testament is described in this way as a messenger or, or angel of Satan. Third reason, Paul pleaded with the Lord to remove it. There is no scriptural precedent for Paul or any of the apostles or anyone else pleading with the Lord for healing that I'm aware of. Jesus had already provided healing through his wounds, uh, as we've just read. We don't need to plead with God to receive something that he has already provided. But there's more on that on Wednesday and this week, uh, next week. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about next week um, how to give and receive, how to administer and to receive healing, I won't be advocating taking that action, and I don't think Paul did. And then finally, God speaks and says, my power is made perfect in weakness. In the context, Paul is using this word weakness um, together along with the idea of uh, insults and persecutions. And that to me means uh, it doesn't appear to me to be an illness. But let's just suppose that hasn't convinced you and you believe that it was an illness. Uh, We're just going to suppose that for the moment. As I said just earlier, it was given to him because of the surpassingly great revelations. He was caught up in the third heaven. If you want to know what that means, ask Dave Paul. Uh, I think it's basically heaven. Uh, He's caught up in the third heaven, seeing and hearing things a man is not permitted to tell. Even so... Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away before God said, My grace is sufficient for you. So if you want to consider your sickness in the light of this scripture, ask yourself, first of all, what incredible revelations that you have had that God uh, would need to give this to you. Then, three times at least, ask God to take it away. And then, when he gives you a direct word saying, I'm not going to do... Um, <clears throat> and his grace is sufficient, and then don't seek to be healed. For all the rest of us, <laughs> I'm, en- I'm encouraging you to do the opposite and to, uh, and to seek to be healed and to seek to be a healer and to administer it to others. Let's quickly go back to that prophecy in Isaiah 53 because um, Peter also quotes... From it. <clears throat> in his first letter, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were, <clears throat> you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is another confirmation from New Testament writers that that... Jesus has fulfilled this prophecy. And note the word, were, <coughs> that he is, the tense is, now you have been healed, um, but it's past tense. It's something that Jesus has already done. OK, so Jesus has already paid the price and died, <coughs> not only for our sicknesses, um, also for our illnesses in this life. Uh, and everybody who's ever going to get healed in his name, he's already done it. <coughs> we don't... Um, I, that's why I believe we don't have to plead for it, because, because it's like pleading for Him uh, with him for something that uh, he has already demonstrated that he has, he has done for us. The provision is already there. Not only does God want us well, he's already made ample provision for it. Um, I'm going to pass over to Tony.
1: Amen. Thank you, Brother Rob. Well, my position in all of this is amazement at the linkage between peace and physical healing or mental healing. I had never seen that before. And um, it's good that we just looked at Isaiah 53 because it says in verse 5, Verse 5, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our Lord Jesus Christ. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And then by his wounds, we are healed. So I'm seeing this linkage and embracing it between that word peace. Um, In Hebrew, we are told it's shalom. Yes? But I understand also that the language that we speak English is so limited (laughs) That it's not the full truth, it's not just peace. It actually means wholeness, it means completeness, it means wellness, it means perfection, and it means peace. So it's a very, very big word, the shalom word. English is quite limited. And as I think about all the interesting new thrusts for health and well-being that we see in our nation, it's a shalom, really that we're seeking. It's a shalom that comes from, as Jody referred to him earlier, the Prince of Peace. Bless God, that's his name. And he embodies it. And so I am being challenged by the whole issue of peace in my life. I'm making it personal. Because there is definitely a linkage. If there is no peace, there is not wholeness. If there is no completeness, if there's no peace, there's no completeness. There's no wellness, there's no perfection, there's no ambiance for those things to happen. As a matter of fact, for any of us that are medical, the whole concept of disease means to be dis to be not at peace. When we have a disease, whatever it is, diabetes, um, cystic fibrosis, cancer, the big C that scares everybody. When we have a disease, I understand that it means that our bodies have been put at dis-ease. And every dis-ease is an opportunity to speak shalom, to really, really speak it. Now we, because we speak English, we've been introduced to a few Hebrew words. We mentioned one this morning, maybe two, and the really favorite ones that we know is hallelujah. And what's the other one that's so obvious? Amen, amen, yes? But I am being challenged, and I would like to challenge all of us, because all of us are at some part of that um, graph that our brother has shown us. We are somewhere there. To speak peace in our lives, in our hearts, in our bodies to speak shalom, even use the word. Let that be the third Hebrew word that we deliberately, and as people are using the fancy word, not everything is to be intentional. Let us deliberately and intentionally use that word. Shalom, shalom. Apparently it was a greeting in the time of Jesus. And so when he comes, he would say shalom. He actually told them at one point in time that when you go into a city, when you go into a house, you bid shalom. It was interesting that during the experience that we had recently with the fiasco of illness that took over the world, that Numbers 6 verse 23, and to set 27, it became very, very popular. We have that song, the Aaronic Blessing, that went all over the world. And I was thinking recently to myself, because it ends off, the Lord give you peace, shalom. You remember this, the, the song, the Lord bless you and keep you. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if that was one way of the Lord himself, out of mercy and kindness, allowing the proclamation of shalom to embrace the world and to encourage us. I remember the first time I heard that, that song, it really was deeply touching. And I joined with maybe some of many of you in here in just sending it off to everybody because it was so beautiful and it became international. And that was a message of shalom, the Lord give you peace, not just quietness. But the Lord keep you from dis-ease. The Lord keep you whole. The Lord make you complete. The Lord make you well. The Lord make you perfect. The Lord give you peace. And of course, in Psalm 103, verse 3 to 5, if we could turn to that. I know Jill is not here, but I know it's one of our favorite verses, as it is for me. Um, Oh, Jill. Hi, Jill. (laughs) Hi, Jill. Cool runnings, you're running things. Well, both Jill and I, could somebody read that verse please? Psalm 103, verse three to five. Cool runnings, I love that one, Rachel, because there's another little bit in there about our youth being renewed. It's a promise that we could embrace. And so my contribution is to embrace shalom. I challenge all of us to use that word more, not to be considered freaky as an English person using what's this whole thing speaking Hebrew now, because I'm sure somebody's gonna say that, particularly in the current geopolitical context, some people might find it offensive. But yes, the world already know hallelujah, even if they don't know what that means, and most people know amen. So why can't we choose a third one to introduce to our vocabulary? Because we understand that it means wholeness, it means wellness, it means perfection, it means peace, and it means completeness. And so that's a personal challenge I wanted to share with you. Can we go to the next slide, please? Sorry? Oh, I could, um, sorry about that. that. Okay, thanks, yes. And and that's basically what I wanted to say today, that we've got a commission of peace. I used to work for an embassy many years ago, and um, there are some embassies that actually refer to as high commissions, because they were linked to the Commonwealth. And the high commission is exactly what it says, it's a commission that is very, very high. It's the highest there is, in terms of representing a government or within a particular foreign nation. Again, the word peace, as it's translated in the New Testament, because it was written in Greek, is Irene. That's what it is. Still peace, still meaning exactly what Shalom meant. Yeah. Anybody know anybody called Irene by the way? Any Irene's, any granny Irene's or aunties? It's not, it's not a popular name nowadays, but that's, the, that's what that name actually means. So if you know any Irenes, you can tell them that your name really means a marvelous thing. It means peace, it means wholeness, it means com- completeness, it means wellness. And I believe that we should embrace our names when we find out what they mean, if they have good meanings. If it's not a good meaning, you just decide on the opposite. Either way, you don't lose, huh? Right? (laughs) So I want to put it to you, brothers and sisters. We have a commission of peace. That's it. That's how we all become actors and participants in this, starting with our own lives, the dramas that we're daily going and experiencing, all of us at some point in time. We've got somebody who's dear to us that's suffering from something physically. Andrew and I are not excluded. I could tell you that even right now. But our language matters it does. Rather than referring to my diabetes, let's put in the shalom. Let's consciously greet people with shalom. It's a good excuse to bring up a conversation about Jesus anyhow, because most people want to know, what's that? What are you into? Well, it's an opportunity to tell them that this greeting means wellness. It means wholeness. It means completion. And so I just quickly wanted to refer, we can probably look at this later on, Mark 16, verse 15 to 18, where our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, gave all of us that high commission to, you know, heal and to deliver and to be strong in carrying out um, an attack, really, on anything that is averse to wholeness. And then in, book, so in the book of Acts, verse 5 and 16, we've got the disciples then actually doing it. The first stage of the disciples, the early ones, like Paul, as was mentioned. And some people use the excuse to say, well, it was for them. But not now, not quite. Because when we look at First Corinthians 12, Verse 27 and then 14, verse 1, it talks about the healing gifts um, and what we should be embracing. All right? So I'm not going to hand over to my wonderful husband. Just wanted to challenge you on that. Get shalom in your language and see what difference it means, it makes to you. God bless you. Praise the Lord.
2: Prince of Peace, bless God. That's who we serve. So, as as Tony shared, we're not we're, we're not immune to this. Uh, one of someone very dear to us in our very near family is dealing with a life-threatening illness at the moment. So we're not immune to these battles. Um, I want to touch on a, a very quickly. I want to go back over a couple of things for those who want to go deeper. So, Rob mentioned Anna Sophia, which is Acts five one to eleven. If one want to mentioned. Jezebel, which I believe is the name of a spirit rather than an individual, which is Revelation 2, 2022. He didn't mention King Herod being struck down and killed, which is Acts 12, 27, 23. Um, And there's possibly another one in there which I won't mention, but we can talk about. But um, if anyone wants to raise it with me. So I quite like dealing with all the really awkward questions, Right? Uh, You know, there's something about my faith that wants to go after the thing that seems that you should avoid. And healing for many people is one of those things. It's Money's another, you know, and where faith and money come. And it seems to me that if you can't deal with where the rubber hits the road, what's the point of your faith? If you can't start dealing with these matters. So we as a church are on a journey. We're not saying we're going to get it all right. We're not saying we understand everything, but we're on a journey where we want to go deeper with God and we want to deal with these things. For those who want to go deeper, I just want to chuck a thought out for a few seconds. And if you read Ephesians chapter 2, the first couple of verses, I think it's chapter 2, it might be chapter 3, but Paul talks about dispensations of grace and there are dispensations of grace that we can come into. So when people first get saved, they might be smoking. Then sooner or later, God will put their finger on something, particularly if they want to be used by God, want to come into a ministry, want to do things, and God will put his finger on that, and you won't have the grace. I used to be addicted to movies. You know, I can't switch my brain off. And my escapism was movies. And over the last couple of years, as God's called me work further into the, into the things of him and into ministry, there are things I used to have, be able to watch I no longer have peace about watching. I'm not saying that for anyone else. I'm not telling people what to do or how to live their life. I'm just saying for me, I don't have that dispensation of grace to do some of the things I used to do. So when you look at these... There are dispensations of grace for individuals and there are dispensations of grace for leaders and movements of God. And if you look at these, two of the three are to do with the move of God in the church. And God puts his finger on something and says there is no dispensation. One of those three is to do with the direction of a nation and who is heading up a nation. And he's not judged as an individual. He's judged as the king of a nation and what the spirit of that nation he will bring. Whether it be a a nation that brings... brings glory to God, or whether it's a nation, they'll bring glory to themselves. And there is not a single case in the scripture or individual where an individual seeking God and God uses sickness to punish them. Not a single one. We set a little homework last week. Do you remember what it was? We said, does anything in the English language count before the word but? Do you remember that? You know, we really appreciate what you're doing at work but, right? It, you know, we really enjoy your company, but. It's great when they come round and visit, but, right? Does anything count in the English language before the word but? And we asked you to just ask yourself the question, you know, does Jesus want... If you're struggling in this area or struggling these things, You know, God wants you know. If I said you, God wants you well, is the first thing that comes into your mind. But, but you don't know my past. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I did. You don't know what's inside. You don't know my unbelief. You don't know my secret sin. You don't know my addiction, my porn addiction, my alcohol addiction. You don't know how I behave and scream to the kids when I'm not here. I've done most of those things not all, but most, all right, never stop Jesus loving me. So if we go to my slide, we're going to do some, a, a really, one really deep theological point. All right, so this is from Acts, and it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, all right, that's our saviour. I find it interesting, he says, of Nazareth, which was considered the slum of the whole of the Jewish nation. So Jesus of the poorest, worst, most deprived, most rejected, most unsuitable area, with the Holy Spirit. See, he anointed the person of the worst place with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did Jesus do? He, Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, as a man, though, went about doing good and healing all. All in the Greek, the Hebrew, and the English means all. All right? Just just for those who want to look up the word, it means all. All who were oppressed of the devil. So if you have fear, if you have worry, if you have anxiety, if you have things from your past that you don't feel you're set free of, that is oppression. All right? So the space is here. Does God change? Yes or no? I'd say no. Does Jesus in his nature change? No. So what he did then, he wants to do now. He wants to heal all who are oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So if you've seen Jesus in nature, you've seen the Father. God was with him to do what? Heal all. See, most of us have a schizophrenic view of God. You know, Some days God's... And it's really our view of ourselves that we impose onto God. So when we like ourselves, we have a loving Father who's on our side. And when we dislike ourselves, we have a judgmental Father who's going to punish us and make sure we suffer for all the horrible things we're doing. Don't transpose your view of, of yourself onto the loving Father of God. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. It's not like, what mood did God wake up on? Has God got a hangover this morning, right? Did he get out of bed the wrong side? Is he going to be like a bear with a sore head today or can I approach him? That is not God. So a really deep theological point now. I want us all to say this together. This is, but it's fundamentally true. So let's say it together. Jesus, good devil bad. If you remember nothing else in terms of theology, and I would say that's pretty aligned to scripture, Jesus good, devil bad. But it's not equal. The goodness of God is not an equal power to the power of the devil. All right? The devil is a created being, spoken into being. Another theological debate, probably not for this morning. All right? But Jesus is goodness. Jesus is goodness. We sing it. The goodness of God is chasing after me. Do we believe it? The goodness of God is chasing after me. He sent, when he went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to earth. And he says in Chronicles that the Holy Spirit roams throughout the earth, looking, looking for a heart or hearts that will be committed to him. If you have a heart that is seeking God, God, the Holy Spirit, is looking for a relationship with you on a, not just a daily basis, not on an hourly basis, but a second-by-second second basis. He's looking 24-7, 365 days a year, every day for the rest of your life. To do you good, to be in you, to bring you goodness, to bless you, to bring you his revelation, to change you, to bring his purposes about into you. 24-7, he's roaming the earth and looking for your heart. And every second your heart cries out, he's there. He's not schizophrenic. It's not one day he's there and one day he's not. You cry out to God now in this moment, in this prayer, at the end of this meeting, he's there. You go home, you ignore him all week, you cry out to him because you have a bad day on Saturday night, he'll be there 24-7. 24-7. That's the God we believe. So that's the basis of what we are launching into and we, we celebrate and we honour Rob for doing this and taking this on and we honour that and we honour the, the leaders in this church for allowing us and to do this. We're on a journey, but we're on a journey to find the goodness of God.